Hello, and welcome to the United MEC Leading Edge podcast series. I'm the United MEC media spokesman, Captain James Belton. The MEC chairman, Captain Todd Insler, recently sent out a Labor Day chairman's message. He's here today to further discuss that message and the current state of affairs. Thank you, Jim. Glad to be on. Based on discussions with pilots at LEC meetings and crew rooms throughout the systems, from the PDRs that we get, the pilot-to-pilot input, we've compiled a list of frequently asked questions, and we encourage pilots to continue to reach out to their LEC officers and use the PDR system to ensure everyone fully understands the process and our goals for Section 6. So in no particular order, I do have some questions for you, Todd. Well, I'm sure I can answer them. Okay, our contract was amendable on January 31st. So why does it seem to be taking so long? Based on history, this pacing is not out of the norm, and we are ahead of where we have been in previous contract cycles. We intentionally pushed to open negotiations early, knowing our goals were comprehensive and it would take time to work through the many complex issues needing improvement in the UPA. We normally take our last pay adjustment on the first day of the last year before our amendable date of our contract. For the first time in our history in this cycle, we intentionally preloaded the UPA with a pay raise on the amendable date so that we could take a pay raise for the first year of bargaining. This was done deliberately to ensure pay raise during the first year of bargaining. Okay, looking ahead, what will happen next January if we don't have a new contract? The existing work rules and pay rates that took effect in January 2019 will remain in effect. There is no other pay rate increase provided for in the UPA. Why do you say we're ahead of the timeline when we are stuck on scope issues? Okay, we are not stuck on scope issues, and we are not at an impasse. We were actively negotiating and specifically following the direction of the pilot group in the MEC. The scheduling sections typically take the most time in Section 6. We are now, for the most part, done with them and working on Section 1. We anticipate that once we move past Section 1, Recognition, Scope, and Career Security, negotiations will be swiftly concluded. We cannot predict when this will be, though. Todd, why won't management bring express flying to the main line? Alpine management have studied the economics at length, albeit independently. While the feasibility is likely closer than it has been in recent years, it is still not economically viable, even with what would require significant changes which would be unacceptable and concessionary in the UPA. Does the MEC have any plans to trade scope for compensation? No. Pay rates are only as good as the protections in place to ensure we keep flying seats where those rates apply. We will not agree to changes in scope unless they benefit the career security for our pilots. Pilots need to have a long-term focus based on protecting the profession over a 30-year career and not focus on the short-term gains. Okay, great. Now it seems like we're only focused on small in scope. What about the top end scope like international JVs? We are fully engaged on protecting and improving both small end scope and the top end flying. Enhancing JV scope protections to further protect our careers is a primary goal of this Section 6 cycle. All right, so in that regard, how does our wide-body flying compare to our competition? The numbers are constantly changing, but United has more wide-body flying than Delta and American. When looking at the number of aircraft at the top of the pay scale at each airline, the numbers are roughly United 154, American 133, and Delta 31. That's certainly encouraging. On the other end of the spectrum, what's the status of the CRJ 550? Is the 50-seater being phased out, retired as fast as we have been expecting? Management has been increasing the use of 50-seaters and has planned to supplement them with CRJ 550s. You'll remember the CRJ 550 is a CRJ 700 hull configured with 50 seats in two classes and includes Economy Plus. 
The first one was recently seen in Ord, and pictures of it can be seen on the MEC website. United is awaiting FAA certification and has plans to operate these as replacement aircraft for the E-145 and CRJ-200 in high-yield markets. How many of the E-50-seat RJs does the company use now, and how many are allowed under the current rules? The company projects having 319 UAX 50-seaters by the end of 2019. 549 are currently allowed. But this number constantly changes. The UPA limit on 50-seaters is 90% of the single-aisle mainline fleet, which is projected to be at 611 at the end of the year. Okay, Todd, is United Airlines going to buy 100-seaters or a new small narrow body of some sort? Although our competition is utilizing 100-seaters at the mainline, based on differences in our network and hub structure, management is not interested in 100-seaters at this time. Instead, management is emphasizing growth in our existing narrowbody fleets for the foreseeable future. The Avianca grievance that's, uh, that's going on concerns a lot of pilots. What is the status of that? We are currently preparing for a system board hearing, and that's expected uh, in about a month. Todd, has the 737 MAX grounding affected negotiations at all? Not at this point. How does staffing look going forward? The plan is to continue to grow the airline and hire more pilots. United is inviting 500 candidates to a job expo in Denver uh, this month. The airline is rapidly growing, and the number of new hires exceeds planned retirements. Would asking the National Mediation Board, or NMB, for intervention speed up negotiations? No. Normally, the call for NMB intervention is made when you have no other options. Historically, their involvement slows down the process considerably. It's always a fine line in negotiations on deciding how much we can say about what's going on at the table. As leaders, we have an obligation to communicate with our pilots and to provide as much information about negotiations as we can without interfering with that process. We must also listen to our pilots' ideas and learn where they see problems in the UPA. Now that that letter has been out for a week, we've heard back from the line that they appreciate the update. Our P2P group had previously let us know that they frequently hear that Section 1 is not only the most important section in our contract, but also one of the most misunderstood. Was one of the points of the letter to point out that there are provisions in Section 1 that should be looked at for improvement? Absolutely. There are gains to Section 1 that we need to consider in order to improve our career protections for our pilots. We should not be content with the status quo. We cannot sit back and just let things happen if we can solve for them. As we have said all along, we won't change scope unless it's better for our pilots. Okay, we're looking back at nearly a decade of growth and profits. The letter discussed the fact that we want to facilitate that if possible, and if the tide turns, we need to be ready for a downturn. We can't let what happened in the 2000s happen again. The mainline shrank while Express grew, and our furlough pilots ended up on the street hunting for jobs in one of the worst recessions in history. You also talked about JVs and the outsourcing threat on the other side of the spectrum. The RJ battle is important, but we shouldn't only fight the last war. We must be forward-thinking and solve for potential threats of JV, foreign ownership, and the international front. Is there any threat of that today? Today? As we discussed in the letter, the current management team is growing the airline on all fronts, and that is working out well for the United Pilots. But relying on management benevolence is not a sound strategy. Managements come and go, and they each can bring a different business plan, as we have seen. We want protections in the contract so we don't have to fight this battle in the future. Okay. Let's go over your most recent letter and talk about some of the ideas and problems that we need to look at together as a pilot group. Since the UPA minimal date of January 31st, 2019, 
we continue to exceed the traditional pace of Section 6 negotiations. In our communications, we provide facts, and when warranted, our assessment of how these facts impact the reality of negotiations. In the end, any deal the MEC brings forward to the pilot group will be subject to membership ratification and therefore must meet the pilot's needs. There will be no sales job or hidden agendas as we work together to improve our careers. Throughout the summer, the pilot's hard work has provided United with record-setting operational performance and financial results, while the MEC and its committees have been diligently working to achieve the next collective bargaining agreement. Our success is paramount, and we are being extremely deliberate in our approach. We will bring the right agreement to the pilots, not simply a rushed agreement based on an artificial timeline. At this time, we do not have the framework for an acceptable deal, and there is more work to be done. We continue to have productive discussions with management, which is somewhat unique for us, and it's also indicative of a positive process. Recently, we made progress in negotiations by finalizing the language in Sections 5 and 20, which is scheduling, while finishing the agreed-upon language in Section 23, which is instructors and evaluators. Nearly all the non-economic sections of the contract have been addressed, and we reached agreements that close out those items. Our focus is now on the remaining key issues of career security, benefits, and pay. Todd, I understand we are focusing on growth. Can you talk about that? Alpin United Management agree that growth is the key to our future. This became clear last month at the interest-based bargaining or IBB sessions. Management acknowledges that the shrink the profitability model of previous leadership teams was the wrong strategy. And as a result, we are now faced to make up lost ground against our main competitors. For pilots, growing the main line is imperative because it provides additional high-paying positions to help compensate for the decade-long drag on bankruptcy wages and career earnings. Growth also reduces the impact of time spent on furlough and makes up for the seniority stagnation we have seen in the past. The addition of mainline flying creates a cycle of vacancy bids, which ultimately improves the quality of work life and sets United apart as the premier airline for pilots of the world. Our goals for growth align with the current management team's goals. And we must codify this in our contract. Okay, Todd. Is it true then that Alpa's proposal to grow the airline included a comprehensive plan to ensure job security and bring express flying back to the mainline? Yes. The IBB provided an environment for a free flow of ideas with no risk that anything discussed could be used against either party in a future grievance or negotiation. This allowed us to assess when and if our plan to bring express flying back to the mainline was viable. In light of the fact that it took five contract cycles and over 25 years to evolve Express to its present state, it became clear that our goal to bring UAX flying back to the mainline cannot be fully corrected in one contract cycle. This reality would be true even if we were willing to expend a large portion of our bargaining leverage. However, that expenditure is not part of our plan. Likewise, it was made clear that management's proposal was untenable to pilots. Both sides are now reassessing their ideas and working towards finding an agreement. I understand that in this reassessment, we remain focused on enhancing job protections in our contract already. Although pilots often reference scope choke as the end-all protection in our agreement, this is far from true when the entirety of Section 1 provisions are viewed in context. For example, the number of 50-seat aircraft allowed at Express is up to 90% of the narrowbody fleet, which has been an ever-increasing number over the past few years. While we thought the 50-seat product was a time-limited dinosaur, the advent of the CRJ-550 has, in management's view, provided a unique solution to their substandard 50C product, while staying compliant with the Section 1 limitations. The current UPA allows the company to continue growing Express using these jets even in a downturn. 
Management believes it now has a viable 50-seat product. Alpa believes that until the market weighs in, we will not know if that's true. In any case, it is imperative that we better control our express product and negotiate improved limitations on the number of regional aircraft operating in our system. At the same time, we must not focus solely on regional aircraft, ignoring our wide-body fleet and the threat of foreign carriers. We must simultaneously secure protections that mitigate multiple threats in this contract cycle. We all know that scope is more than just RJs, and United operates more wide bodies at the top of the industry pay scale than our two biggest competitors. That's great, right? This is great, but problematically, under existing contractual language, management can park literally all of our mainline wide body aircraft and up to 160 of our narrow bodies, and they would still not be required to remove one single RJ from express service. Now, please understand that this scenario is highly unlikely but we must shore up our scope protections now while we have the opportunity. There is also the threat to international flying from foreign carrier outsourcing as other pilot groups are seeing on their property today. The adverse effects of failing to ensure adequate contractual job protections on both ends of the flying spectrum are more reasons why we must negotiate the right contract. Okay, so what's next? What steps do we take as a union? Although the original timeline both sides targeted has come and gone, We continue to meet with management in good faith and will continue to engage on Section 1, Recognition, Scope, and Career Security over the next few weeks. We remain confident that a path to improvements exists that simultaneously meets our goals of mainline growth and protects our pilots from an economic downturn. We will continue to focus on where our interests align, looking to find the common ground. Finding this path is key to unlocking the remaining issues needed to improve the UPA and bring negotiations to a close. Under no circumstance will we rush into an agreement that does not help us maintain our lead in the industry. If the current pace and tenor of negotiation changes, then we will reassess. If needed, the MEC is fully ready to use traditional tools legally available under the Railway Labor Act. We are ready to quickly change our tactics as the facts on the ground dictate, while being fully aware of our obligation to maintain the status quo. Ensuring the long-term career security and improvement of our profession is the ultimate goal. Todd, this is certainly a great deal to take in, and I appreciate your time. Jim, this is what all of us at the MEC are here for. We work tirelessly to help improve the lives of each and every United pilot on our seniority list. I can't stress more the importance of staying informed and getting involved. We will only get what we deserve if we stay unified. Don't give in to rumor and innuendo. Engage your reps and embrace the process. I am very encouraged by our progress, but we need to stay focused. Thank you, Todd. On behalf of the entire MEC, thank you for listening to the United MEC Leading Edge podcast.